We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into a Tuesday edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is May 9th. Nick Whalen back with Alex Rutha. Uh, we continue to trudge our way through round two of the NBA playoffs, Alex. And we'll, we'll, we'll jump around to all four active series. We'll, we'll talk about some of the futures odds that continue to shift night to night. And uh, we had some big shifts last night, especially in light of the LA Lakers taking a 3-1 lead on the Golden State Warriors. Um, looking at the title odds right now, Alex, at the DK Sportsbook. The Lakers are plus 350. How did we get to this point? <laughs> How did we get to this point? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a weird series so far. You know, we've kind of bookended competitive games at this point with the two blowouts in the middle. Um, man, the Lakers, I mean, <laughs> last night's game came down to like a Lonnie Walker versus Steph Curry fourth quarter showdown. And Lonnie Walker won. He did. <laughs> yeah. He did. I, uh, it's weird. I mean, I thought, you know, I, I thought the, uh, the Warriors got more like good kind of open shots than the Lakers. It just kind of confused me. I felt like when I was seeing the, the Warriors, like, you know, Clay and Curry hit their contested stuff. Right. But there was just somebody like dump off passes to Gary Payton who would go up for like a dunk or like LeBron just refused to close out on somebody and they got an open three. And, um, you know, despite Golden State getting so many, what I felt were more open shots, the Lakers end up pulling this game out. Yeah, you mentioned Gary Payton, who, of course, was inserted into the starting lineup. That was the big chess move by the Warriors. And I, it kind of worked, I guess. I mean, like like Gary Payton had, what, like six open layups in this game where yes. it felt like the I, – I thought the Lakers gave up 20-plus points on either just not getting back, being tired, or in LeBron or AD's case, complaining to the refs. Like there were multiple possessions where LeBron was just like, I'm okay with the Warriors getting a bucket here because I need to complain to the official. And, you know, uh, Gary Payton was on the receiving end of a few of those. It felt like he was just kind of lurking, like almost just like 
kind of sauntering block to block. And yes. then Curry would get into the lane and, and just dump it off to a somehow wide open Gary Payton. So yeah, I, I thought the Warriors actually did a pretty good job of adjusting after being completely shut down in game three, but they, they just missed so many shots, so many shots. Curry three of 14 from three clay three of nine. Uh, I, I thought the Lakers did a pretty good job contesting the bulk of those threes, but Golden State had a ton of open looks around the rim. Tongue open looks around the rim. I think if you had like watched this game without the scoreboard, you would have been like, oh, Golden, Golden State won. Um, or Golden State's winning. Like they just look like they're getting more open looks. Um, that's a problem because Golden State, I mean, you know, Kerr, Kerr didn't want to call this a must win game, but the reality is like when teams go up 3 1, they, I mean, they pretty much, they always win the series. Um, well, and this, again, it just felt like this is a game that the Lakers in so many different scenarios would just lose. Like they would, this felt like a game that they were, like that they were kind of destined to blow this game and they just yes. like it, it didn't happen for them. They were down 73 61 with five forty five left in the third quarter. And at that point, I, this is one of those nights where I'm like, thank goodness sports betting is not legal, like on the apps in Wisconsin, because I would have bet <laughs> a lot of money on, on the warriors live line, whatever it was, it was probably like minus two fifty. like, whatever I'll you know, just make some free money here. I, I just I never entertained the thought of the Lakers coming back into this game. At that point, I think LeBron kind of went on his mini run of like missed a pull up three, uh, you know, missed a layup, thought he was fouled. Uh, you know, the ball kept bouncing off of his hands out of bounds for, for a couple of possessions in a row. And you're just like, man, he, he doesn't have it. He, he arrived to the arena seven hours early and somehow didn't get warmed up. Uh, but then Austin Reeves, who I thought Austin Reeves was really bad in the first half. Uh, he's been short on a lot of jumpers throughout this entire series. I thought the turnovers have become an issue for him. I thought he really saved them towards the end of the third quarter and early in the fourth with some huge, huge buckets uh, when LeBron was, was struggling. And Anthony Davis, who uh, Davis was catching a lot of flack. It felt like during this game, you know, the announcers were calling him out, people on Twitter, you know, the TNT crew afterward. I, I didn't think it was Davis like shrinking from the moment. I thought he was one exhausted clearly from what he was doing on defense. And two, the Lakers just didn't look for him. Like we joke about it being the Lonnie Walker game, but like, the Lakers were basically just setting up Lonnie Walker for the last six minutes of this game. Like not only was Anthony Davis not involved, but like LeBron wasn't even that involved. Right. Which is something we've seen happen with the Lakers before. And it was something we saw, especially in the Grizzly series where it would be yeah. like a lot of the role players kind of taking over late while LeBron and AD are either distractions, lazy, conserving energy, like how, however you want to spin uh, LeBron and AD not being involved. But I mean, I, Listen, I think the move, maybe this is sort of hindsight's 2020, the, the move by Darvin Ham to bring in Lonnie Walker, a guy who is completely fresh and uh, has a lot of athleticism and energy, like it, it kind of, I mean, it brought the Lakers back to life. Walker played the entire fourth quarter. Uh, both It was Walker, Schroeder, Davis, and LeBron basically played the whole fourth quarter. Uh, and then Reeves and Russell split the rest of the minutes. Lonnie Walker, six of nine from the field, two of two at the line. LeBron, one of three. Davis, one of two. I mean, they, they, LeBron did hit some big free throws late in this game, which for him is a big deal because, you know, LeBron is at this point, it's like, if you'll, you'll take a split uh, a lot of the time, especially when he's as tired as he's looked late in these games, but he hit four free throws in a row that ended up being really key for the Lakers. Very strange ending to this game where, you know, it, Anthony Davis, it, like it, it kind of felt like a redux of the 2016 Kevin Love possession in a lot of ways. But I mean, if this was a masterclass by Anthony Davis staying in front of Curry, who you know, basically pulled out every dribble move that he had, um, it came up short. I believe Golden State got an offensive rebound and then Curry comes up short again uh, on a 30 foot step back. 
Lakers get the rebound and then Anthony Davis somehow gets tied up in that situation. I, I don't know how, it, it, to me, it looked like a foul. I think he was expecting a foul, but you got to call a timeout. Darvin Ham claimed he was calling timeout. I, I don't know if that was actually the case, but we get a jump ball and Anthony Davis somehow loses the jump ball. So like the Lakers end up winning this game, you know, Curry tosses the ball out of bounds behind his head. I didn't, you know, that got kind of memed all over Twitter. I just think that was, you know, there's one second left in the game. What are you going to do? It's not like that's a gaffe by Curry. Uh, but the Lakers kept the Warriors in this game a little bit longer than they should have. I agree. I mean, this is, this game really could have went either way. And um, yes, it's, it's just interesting to th- think the whole momentum of the series, the chances of the, the Lakers going to the finals, it really just comes down to like a bunch of weird plays that happen at the end of <laughs> like game four. You know what I mean? Like it's just, uh, you know, guys, bad turnovers, coaches, not calling timeouts, like a Lonnie Walker having the game of his life. I mean, this is like, this is the kind of stuff that is <laughs> really just ending up swinging the series uh, just as much as like the real basketball is. Yeah. I mean, not only at the end of this game, at the very end, could it, did it feel like it was still on the balance? I mean, Curry got some good looks, you know, looks that I think you'll take if you're the Warriors. But I, I thought for the entire fourth quarter, at no point did I have a good feeling on who was going to win this game. Like literally the entire fourth quarter, the Lakers were down seven to start the fourth. Uh, Lonnie comes in, hits a three on the first possession. It's a four point game. The rest of the fourth quarter, it was a four point game for like a combined 40 seconds. The rest of the entire fourth quarter, the game was within one possession. Like at no point did either team make like a mini run, and you thought, okay, they're they're going to run away with it. Right? Yeah. I mean, true. I mean, you know, it's like game one is super competitive all the way, and I think these teams are really evenly matched. I mean, I thought, listen, I thought Golden State was going to win this series. I I didn't think that the Lakers would would honestly be able to like chase them around um, all their screens and you know kind of keep up with them which to some extent I actually think has been true. Like the, the Warriors have gotten plenty of open looks. They did in this game as well, whether it be from the rim or three, because, you know, LeBron doesn't close out anymore and doesn't play help defense half the time. And yet the Lakers just brute forced their way to these wins. LeBron was awful on defense for a lot he of this game. He so was so bad. In, in the fourth quarter, he was okay. He turned it on and he, he actually had some nice closeouts, I thought, on Wiggins and, and defended Draymond well. But wow, early in this game, I mean, he was – he was in full on, like give up a layup and then look around at like, why is it somebody oh else God. stopping this guy mode? Uh, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. I, I, I thought he'd be a little more locked in. You know, he, he's you know, kind of made a big deal about getting to the arena early. The Lakers put out that video of him getting ready. And he just, he, he just kind of looked off the entire night. He hit a couple threes, but he's still two of nine from beyond the arc. Like, you know, like fumbling the ball in transition, uh, missed a couple layups late in this game that he, he normally makes. So just kind of a weird night again for LeBron, who I was looking at his playoff numbers. Like he had, his PER, which I know is somewhat of an outdated stat, whatever, it's like 20 for the postseason. Like historically, he, his PER is usually like sitting around 27 to 30 in, in the playoffs. So he's just, he has, he's been great. I mean, he's averaging like 22, 10, and 5. So you can only complain so much. But uh, relative to the playoff LeBron that we're used to, we, we haven't really seen that guy consistently. Uh, Draymond Green, very weird game for him as well. Uh, eight points, 10 rebounds, seven assists, you know, kind of near to triple double for the second straight game. But uh, really bizarre turnover late in this game where it looked like on a, on a set play, uh, you know, he was expecting to have an outlet and just didn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that was the one where they, did they switch Schroeder onto him? Is that what happened? I um, believe so. And then they had LeBron guarding, I think it was Wiggins who he was trying to shovel it to. Yeah. I mean, so I think in the last play of this game, I mean, the Lakers basically haven't switched all series. And I'm pretty sure on that last play, they switched all the action that Golden State was trying to do. 
and that I think that really confused Golden State. Um, and the, it kind of just busted up their their entire game plan. And so again, that's nice coaching by Darvin Ham. I don't I don't want to say like Darvin Ham is out coaching Steve mm. Kerr, but that's a that's well, like that's a great. Crazy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Um, no, I don't. That, that's a, but that's just like a great you know sort of like last second like that's an experienced coach chess move. It's like we haven't switched all series. And on this final play where the Golden, where Golden State is trying to make something happen with all this off-ball movement, like, you know what? We're just going to switch it. We're going to make them beat us one-on-one in this specific instance. He, he cannot outcoach Steve Kerr as long as Wendy and Gabriel is still getting minutes in this series. <laughs> he, he, he had his, like, usual uh, two- or three-minute cameo where, like, the, the Lakers, I think, were up five or up seven or something at the time. And then when he checked out, they were down two. It's just – whenever he comes in, it's not even his fault. There's just, like, bad things seem to be happening. Uh, but I think they could probably do without Wendy Gabriel's minutes. Uh, I mean, Rui Hachimura is, is still in the rotation. He only took one shot in this game. Like he's, he's kind of faded a little bit. Uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell, I don't believe played a single minute in the fourth quarter. Uh, double check it on that now. Oh, he did. He played, he played like the first five minutes and then got pulled. Uh, I mean, he was really, really bad in this game. Like that borderline shot the Lakers out of it. You know, like when Golden State made that run and I think they were up 12 or 14, uh, you, you know, you kind of felt like this game was, was, teetering on the edge and a big part of that was Russell just kind of dribbling around with his head down like just pulling up taking contested shots uh really really strange game from him well I mean I pointed this out to you on the XM show I thought part of the reason they put Gary Payton the starting lineup was to stop D'Lo from like setting up so much offense and I think that did happen early on where he got a little spooked by by Payton who's an excellent defender I mean he's in the game because he he's one of the NBA's best defenders, even though I'm pretty sure he, no, he just, he did not make, he did not make an all defensive team, which just got nope. released today. But Confirmed. I mean, had he actually been on the Warriors and playing like 20, 25 minutes a game all season, I think he could have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys. I mean, there was a really weird play with him where he just ran off the court for a little bit. I, I don't, I didn't look into it enough to see if we got any follow up there. I think there was some speculation that he had like, like thrown up in his mouth or something. I like a pretty, that's kind of what it looked like on video. Um, like he, he basically played an offensive possession and just literally ran off the court, was just gone to the locker room <laughs> and the Lakers got a bucket out of it. And, or no, I think it was a turnover. Draymond passed it to him or to who he thought was Gary Payton in the corner. And he just wasn't there. And I, I think Golden State didn't even realize that he was off the court until after that, but returned to the game. And I thought played really well. Uh, will be interesting to see if the Warriors stick with this. You know, we, we were talking on the XM show last night about like Kavon Looney, who was such a huge story you know, not only because of what he did in game seven against the Kings, but then having a huge game in game one of this series. Like if you would have told me like, Hey, a week later, this guy is coming off the bench and playing 11 minutes. Uh, it just, it just doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, it's to the point where we don't even, we can't even take the under on Kevon Looney props. Cause they're not posted. Yeah. I mean, this is like, uh, I mean, it's a little bit like the Mitchell Robinson thing in the heat next series where there are so many like, some of these bigs, I mean, the, as the NBA has gone, you know, like smaller, more positionally versatile, there are just some series where these big men, they can dominate an entire series. They can average 15 boards, six offensive, look fantastic. And then they kind of just fade out of other series because it gets, it gets too athletic. They need guys to stop smaller players and they just kind of fade away. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah, I, I, do, I do think maybe... You know, that's one of the adjustments if Golden State can you know, try to get Kevon Looney uh, more involved on the glass. But at the same time, it you know, they only gave up eight offensive rebounds in this game. Uh, you know, they, they were out-rebounded 42-40. to 40. So, you know, I, I don't think you look at this game and say, like, oh, man, we need to get Looney in there 
to control the glass. Like Davis was great on the defensive glass, but uh, there, there were not a lot of instances of, uh, you know, guys like Draymond Green or, or Andrew Wiggins or Gary Payton having trouble keeping the Lakers off the glass. So I, I don't know what, what is the adjustment going forward for Golden State? It feels like they've kind of taken a couple different shots at this. And, you know, I, I think if Curry doesn't go three of 14 and if, if Clay just hits one more three at any point in this game, it's probably a different story. And, and we're not looking at this as such a desperation situation. But uh, I mean, is, is there any counter left for Steve Kerr? I was, I was wondering that as well, because I do, I kind of, uh, you know, I was thinking about this series and the, the Heat Knicks series where these, you know, they're, they, they played their game fours. And I think game four is about the time where teams sort of like, I think a lot of the adjustments have, the main adjustments have run their course. And you either have to start doing like little stuff on the margins, but I think all the looks are kind of, I feel like all the cards have been played at this point. And like I said earlier, I don't, I don't think Golden State got bad shots. I thought they got a lot of good looks. I don't know why they can't generate those again. Um, especially if LeBron decides to just not play defense for an entire three quarters again. But um, it's just going to be hard for like Kirk can try these wild adjustments or smaller adjustments or whatever. It's just going to be hard for I mean, hard or near impossible for them to climb out of the three, one hole. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, we've seen it before uh, in yeah. the NBA playoffs. So, I, you know, obviously Golden State's in a tough spot here. And chances are they're going to lose the series. Uh, Lakers are minus 500 right now. Warriors plus 380. I will say, as we talked about on the show last night, these narratives swing so quickly. You know, you turn on first take this morning. It's a mix of uh, should the Lakers rest their starters in game five? That was a real thing that was discussed. <laughs> uh, and, and then, you know, is this the end of the Warriors dynasty? we got to remember like golden state is what i think they're six and a half or seven point favorites in game five like in all likelihood they're going to win that game at home it's pretty hard to imagine them just laying down there um and we'll see yeah the number's at seven right now at DraftKings. the lakers are gassed lebron said he was gassed after the game he played 43 minutes like golden state's going to win game five like game six is going to feel a lot like last night's game which to me felt like a true 50 50 game for almost the entire 48 minutes and if that's the case and it and the ball bounces golden state's way you know, all of a sudden we, we got a game seven. Like, I think when you say, oh man, they got to beat this team three in a row. It's like, well, yeah, you get two of the three at one of the best home court advantages in NBA history with, with Steph Curry. It's like, I don't, like to me, it just kind of comes down to, okay, take care of business in game five. The whole series is going to come down to that game six in LA. Yes, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, the, the thing is, the hard part about the Warriors is this is not the same, like, trustworthy Warriors team of the past. Yeah. 
You know, I think um, like we I, we've talked about all season, especially you. You you don't trust this Lakers team. Um, you I know, picked they, the Warriors they, at five for the record. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just. I, I don't know. Neat, like it's just this this version of the Warriors is not the team that I would expect to pull off the the three wins in a row. It, it's just it's not. I'm so, like again they like they're they're, I, they're probably due for another one of their crazy turnover games. You know those those happen one out of every three games. And yeah, you're right. Like the ball could bounce their way for a few of these games, and then it's and then it's game seven, and then it's you know it's anyone's game. But um, I it would be yeah, shocking if they pulled it off still. I guess that's all I'm saying is like, you just got to get to the game seven. Like I almost view it as you need to win the next two. And then, you know, game seven is just like that throw, throw the record books out there and you, and you get it at home. Like, look, if two of the next three were in LA, like if they, if they had lost this game in San Francisco and had to go to whatever crypto or whatever it is, I, I will still call it staples for game five. I, I would be like, all right, they don't have much of a chance, but I, I, I think they'll win game five. I think they'll be rejuvenated. And you know, I, this goes back to me not trusting the Lakers, you know, to, to slam the door shut in a situation like this. So, um, you know, it, we'll see. I'm, I'm very excited to see how it goes. I, I expect a Warriors semi blowout, I would say in game five. Uh, you know, I, I think they're, they are the team we should keep in mind that is coming into this series on less rest than the Lakers. But, uh, you know, it, it does seem like the Lakers are the team that has been more like demonstrably fatigued in this series. Uh, last thing I'll say about this, and then we'll, well, I promise we'll talk about the other three series. I mean, the Jordan Poole factor 10 minutes played in this game, 0 of 4, 0 of 2 from 3, two turnovers, d- didn't give them absolutely anything. I mean, is, is it close to as simple as saying, like, the difference between last year's title-winning team that came back from a 2-1 deficit against Boston to win the finals is that, you know, you're basically removing 17 points and 40, 40% shooting from the equation? Because that's what Jordan Poole was giving them in the playoffs last year. It might be. I mean, we talk about how, you know, Phoenix has no bench. Steve Kerr looks just as confused at times trying to figure out his bench um, as Monty Williams does in Phoenix. I, I just, I, Jordan Poole is some of it. The fact that he's just not good defensively, his offense has fallen off um, as well, but they, you know, they had other like more veteran players in the rotation that were, they were playing a little bit better too. I think as I actually, you know, I was a little worried about Wiggins in this playoffs considering the long layoffs. He's been completely fine. In my opinion, I, I think he should try to, they should try to get him a little more involved. At least since LeBron is on him so much in this series and he's been lazy. Um, <laughs> it's just free baskets. It's, it's, seriously. Some of these baskets are, are completely so free, bad, which is so crazy. Bad. I mean, that's, that's part of the problem is it feels like the Warriors are getting all these free baskets sometimes. And yeah. yet they still cannot, they're down three, one. Right. Yeah. It's just, the Lakers are that good. They're just that dominant, man. They're, they're inevitable. Uh, no, that, that does make me wonder. It's like at some point if LeBron gets his act together and like plays like, I don't know, even like 2020 LeBron just for like a stretch. It's like I, the Lakers do have another level to go up. Like I thought they played, I thought they played really well in game one and they were, I think both teams actually played well in game one and the Lakers came out on top, but I don't, I don't feel like they've dominated the series by any means. Obviously they, they played well in game three, but they, they stunk it up in game two. I don't think they played well enough to deserve to win this game last night uh the Warriors just played worse so it, it's been a, a really weird series it has yeah and I mean the point differential isn't that big right I mean I think it's no. Lakers averaging 112 points a game Golden State 109 but just depending on what game like like I mean you've said it a bunch of times it doesn't matter whether you lose by one or you lose by 15 like that's it's it's first to you know it's first to four wins yep uh let's talk Nick's heat 
This is 3-1 Miami. I think we all I, I didn't see anybody, you know, throw the takeout that the Heat were going to win or that the the Knicks were going to win this game on the road last night. And I, I think it went about as expected. I actually thought Miami might might win this game by more. There were a couple times where it looked like they were, you know, one or two baskets away from from really breaking this open. So I, I guess in some ways credit to the Knicks for finding ways to stick around. Uh, I thought Julius Randle played okay. Uh, you know, followed out at six turnovers. That was really costly, but he was eight of 13 from the field. Uh, almost all of his misses came from three. Uh, you know, Barrett played okay. Brunson was okay, but it just, the, the Knicks just look like they're out of answers. They look like they're out of gas. And I will be, I'll be pretty surprised if they extend this series. Honestly, it, it, it kind of feels like they've, they've accepted their fate. And, and you can tell by some of the body language, some of the post-game quotes that, uh, you know, they're just not vibing right now. I don't have the odds in front of me, but I would much rather bet like the Warriors to make a comeback from their three one than the Knicks to make a comeback from their three from them being down. Um, and I, I do have the odds in front of me. Uh, you could get the Knicks at plus five fifty, get the Warriors at plus three eighty to win their series. I would. Ra- I mean, I would rather take the Lakers or the, excuse me the the Warriors at plus three eighty. I mean, that's that's. I mean, I, I said to you before Game Four, Knicks Heat that I thought the Heat were done. Or excuse me, the Knicks were done. I changed my mind. Like if if before before game two, I was like, I actually think this is a good spot to bet the Knicks. And then I watched game two and game three, and I'm like, uh, the Heat are gonna win this series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I try not to flip-flop, but it's it was tough, man. I just like you like you mentioned, the Knicks look like they have no answers offensively besides to try to like brute force it. And I'm sorry, you're not gonna brute force Bam out of bio and Jimmy Butler. Um and like Brunson keeps getting his because he's shifty and he's, you know, like he'll, he, again, he just, he's been getting his the entire playoffs. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> 24 points on 16 shots from RJ Barrett. I'm sorry to say it. That's the best game you're getting from him. Like that's, that's his best game. And Randall's 20 points on 13 shots. It's okay, but he also had six turnovers. I, I just, <laughs> I don't know, man. I quickly was out for this game, which like is worth mentioning, but I, it's just, I, again, I think, I think they're, they're being outplayed, outcoached all of it. Yeah, no quickly. I, I think that on paper matters more than it has in the playoffs. He just hasn't been good for them. Um, you know, I, I think it forced their hand a little bit just in terms of, of the rotation and substitution patterns last night. But I, I don't think, I don't think you look at that and say like, Oh man, if we had quickly, you know, we, we probably win that game. Uh, you know, what's funny is if you look at a lot of like, even just the basic offensive numbers, the Knicks are basically having the exact same series as they had last round. When uh, I may remind you, they beat the Cavaliers in five games. Like they're shooting the exact same percentage from the field and from three, almost to the decibel. Um, you know, the offensive rating is, is up uh, or was up a little bit in round one, but really not that, not that significantly, you know, pace has been uh, a little bit down in this series or a little bit up, excuse me, in this series versus round one. Uh, but you know, I think it's a reminder that the Cavs just really, really stunk it up in the first round. Like the Knicks, the Knicks obviously deserve to win that series and were the better team, but you know, it's not like they, they came out and just dominated by any means. Uh, I thought that, you know, defensively they played really well. They were great on the glass, uh, but offensively they struggled in round one and, you know, unsurprisingly, I think they're struggling again. Well, against the Cavs, the Knicks were grabbing, 10% more offensive rebounds in the series. They had like a 35% offensive rebound rating, which is mm-hmm. absurd. And now it's down to like 24. Um, but Miami's been great on the offensive glass as well. It's just when like the Knicks needed all of those extra offensive possessions. 
Now they don't have them and they can't generate offense and it's going poorly. And I feel the same way about the heat as I did about the Warriors. Like I thought the Warriors last night, again, got more like great open looks um, than the, than the Lakers, but they somehow lost. I felt like the heat got, I mean, the heat bam out of bio last night finally had one of those games that I've been waiting for Bam Adebayo to have where he's rolling hard to the rim and he's dunking everything. He looked fantastic. The Knicks had no answer for him. And they're just constantly at the rim at like dunks, layups, Struces dunking. Guys are out in transition. Like it's just, I, they, they've, they've just solved the Knicks. Like I hate to, I hate to be that like that simple, but I would not be surprised if they, if they close the series out next game. I mean, Caleb Martin had a huge dunk late in this game as well. Uh, everybody was dunking oh, he did, yeah. uh, on the Knicks. Yeah, I, I mean, Bam Bam had like the anti DeAndre Ayton game. He was he was really really oh. good last night. I think this was probably his best game of the playoffs, honestly. Uh, and they needed it. I mean, Butler was was very good, of course, 27, 10, and six, but he he was not quite as dominant as he's been in some other games. You know, the Heat didn't really shoot the ball all that well, and that was also the case in Game Three. You know, that's that's the other thing is like, you know, Miami has finally cooled off. You know, what we've been waiting for here in Milwaukee. Uh, like they, they've kind of had back to back, just okay. I mean, for the series, the Heat are shooting 31% from three, 31% for the series, and they're up 3 uh, 1. Yeah, I mean, Duncan Robinson was one of seven in this game in 11 minutes. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's strange because, you know, the Knicks didn't play that well in round one. They went in five games. I would argue that the Heat aren't even playing that well in round two. And, and now I think they're on pace to probably win this in five games. I think they are. Yeah. A, um, I mean, the Knicks, the Knicks play a lot more like straight up sort of intense defensive coverage compared to the Bucs yeah. who I don't want to call like drop coverage a gimmick, but it's like, it's very much a scheme, you know, it's a hoax. and um, it's a hoax. It's a scheme. It's a mirage and uh, Spolster saw him right through it. But yeah, so I mean, I'm not surprised the Heat are playing that well or uh, aren't playing well offensively, but um, they at the same time, like, again, I just think they they figured out how to get open looks more often than the Knicks. And that's, that's just, and plus, I mean, Mitchell Robinson was just, he's been so bad. I'm sorry. Like I know I mentioned the offensive rebounds, but he also can't stop at Bam out of bio. He's completely lost on so many of these like defensive rotations. Um, It's they, and they need him. And he's just not, he's not been there for him. He, he had a, a ball go through his hands with about a minute left in this game. That was huge and kind of felt like the end, like I got an offensive rebound. I think the Knicks were down like six or seven and, you know, just basically dropped the ball out of bounds. And, you know, like, I mean, it's just one of those plays where sometimes that happens, but it was kind of emblematic of, of the series that he's had, you know, and that, that just felt like that was it. Uh, you know, Miami went and got two free throws on the other end after that and, and essentially wrapped the game up. Uh, all right. Before we, we'll talk some Suns Nuggets and Sixers Celtics. We'll go quickly through those because both of those teams are playing tonight. You can hear a lot more coverage of both of those series on the Roadwire NBA show, Sirius XM channel 86 at 7 p.m. Eastern. But before we get to those, we, we did get the all defensive teams, Alex, and not, not any major surprises. Um, you know, the one thing, it was a reminder to me that they don't do positions with these, like they kind of do, but they don't care as much as all NBA <laughs> because Jaron Jackson, Brooke Lopez and Evan Mobley, are all on first team. So I, I guess in that situation, Jared Jackson is at the three and then drew holiday and Alex Caruso are the guards. Second team, Draymond green, OG Ananobi, bam at Dylan Brooks and Derek white. So nice, nice little, uh, uh, requiem for Derek Brooks. And then we had a, a slew of other players who are receiving votes, but, uh, pretty much everybody. I, I thought that was on this list down to 
you know, guys like Pat Bev and Delon Wright, uh, who each got one second second team vote. Uh, like there were there were no like gimmicky ones here. You know, it's not like Juan Hernan Gomez had a first place vote. <laughs> People took it seriously. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't think there are any surprises here. Um, these are all excellent defensive players. I mean, I, I think the all defensive team. Um, I, you know, voters. I think voters take the defensive team pretty seriously. Um, it's because it's actually I it's it's harder to vote for than the. I think then like the MVP in a lot of cases oh, yeah. or even like the all NBA teams, because it's, it's so specific. And um, just because you rack up steals or just because you rack up blocks doesn't mean you're some like great defender. So you kind of have to watch, you kind of have to ask around. Yep. It's a lot more of an eye test thing. Yeah. I would say these are all really, really spot on. Uh, you know, kind of, I'll, I'll just read a couple other players who got votes. Marcus smart uh, was the defensive player of the year last year. Didn't make either of these teams. Mm-hmm. Makes you wonder. Uh, McCall Bridges, Jimmy Butler, Herb Jones, Lou Dort, Jalen Brown, Matisse Thibel, SGA, Anthony Edwards, DeJounte Murray, uh, Tyrese Halliburton got a first-team vote, which is interesting. Uh, Paul George, Chris Paul, DeAnthony Melton, DeLon Wright, and Patrick Beverly. Uh, yeah, I mean, any of those guys could have been on second team, and, and I don't think anybody really bats an eyelash. No. No, I think these are all um, – yeah, everybody who got a vote is is deserving. Drew Holiday, by the way. Uh, this will be his third first team all selection in the last six years. So he's gone first, second, nothing, first, second, first uh, over his last six seasons. Uh, I'd have to go up and kind of do a tally of like how many guards have have made that many. Uh, you know, obviously, you have guys like, like Chris Paul was like a staple on those teams for so long. Um, but there's there's not there's not that many guys, you know, because I think the guard spots a lot of times will just shuffle between like the the Marcus Smart types, the Derek White types, the Caruso types, like guys who kind of have these like two or three year windows where they're viewed as, as great defenders, but it's, it's relatively rare for like all-star level guards to, to, to maintain those all defensive spots year over year. Right. Um, it's carrying on Eric Bledsoe's legacy. Yes. I, <laughs> um, who, who got all defensive nods cause he knew I could navigate screens. I think that was yeah. the only back to back years. He made it. Yes, he did. Um, yeah, Holiday is so good, man. I, I just, you know, he has his, like, as Bucks fans, we see more of Holiday than a lot of other point guards in the NBA. But he's, the the fact that he can, like, he's just bullying other teams' guards and then can also still score, like, 15 with a bunch of us. Like, he's just, he's so good, man. Um, except when Jimmy Butler. Um, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, won't, we won't talk about that. Well, let me let me say this: Giannis did not receive a single vote, which is a little weird. But to me, to me, it's because of the the positional designations, where it's like you know, if you're voting Lopez, Mobley, Jackson, like he was he wasn't getting votes over any of those guys. But I, I'm still a little surprised he didn't, he didn't get one second team vote. Like, what, I mean, does that just does that just tell you that everybody you know views Lopez and Holiday as as the true linchpins of that defense? I think so. I mean, I feel like I've said multiple times in this podcast. I think Giannis is an overrated defender. Um, he's just very much like a help side guy gets the transition, like LeBron chase down blocks, but he's never like a huge point of attack defender. Yeah, I guess not. I'm trying to, I'm looking up the, I mean, he got, he got 14 votes for defensive player of the year and zero votes for all defense. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell oh, you. Wait a second. Okay. Wow. I'm totally off on this. Okay. All right. There's two pages to the thing that I'm looking at. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> 
I should have. I, there should have been a red flag with all the names that I read for people receiving votes were guards. Uh, he did receive plenty of votes, uh, a bevy of votes, 16 first place votes. In, in okay. fact, uh, 28 second place votes for 60 total points. So he was not he was not really close to making either of the teams. I mean, he fell. He was like 30 points short uh, of like Draymond and OG and an OB for uh, for second team. But OK. All right. We, we got that settled. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. The, the, the key here is to make sure you look at both pages when you're, you're reading voting. Well, I, I mean, I, again, I, I think the point kind of stands. Like, I, I don't think like, I think players are sort of scared of Giannis the same way that like in the past players wouldn't go at LeBron, but I never felt like LeBron was like an all defensive guy. You know what I mean? I think he was for a while, you know, I would say like Oh seven to like what? 13, 14. I think he was he was pretty damn good. I mean, you could not get by LeBron, um, partially because I think there were just not that many guys who were willing to challenge him, like you said. And you know, they also, you know, unless it was the playoffs, he was not guarding. You know, it's not like he, if you're playing the Pacers in mid February, he wasn't guarding Paul George. So I, th- I think a lot of it was you're able to kind of hide these guys throughout the regular season to conserve energy. But I, I mean, I I feel like he was absolutely all defense caliber. It's like you know he came away from that era without a single defensive player of the year award. That I was okay with. I, I don't know if he was ever yeah. like the best defensive player in the in the in the league. He had five uh, first team uh, all defense selections. Oh, you were uh, you were wondering about I I found the list for most all all NBA defense. You okay. were you were talking about like a holiday comp. What was your what was your sort of question? Uh, I guess I was just saying you know kind of looking at the list from the last ten or fifteen years that like there's a lot of there's a lot of big men who you know, are on these, these teams every single year, you know, KG, oh, Duncan, right. Dwight Howard, but for guards, it, you know, anecdotally, it, it, it feels as though they, they kind of cycle through more quickly than big men. I think so. Like I'm looking through right now and most of the guards were like, you know, there, there are four guys who are tied for nine first team all NBA. It's Kobe Garnett, MJ and Gary Payton. I think that all makes sense. Um, I guess the more modern guy is Chris Paul, who has seven. Yep. Um, after that, in terms of like modern guards, you're right. It it falls off pretty quick. I mean, Jason Kidd, depending on how you want, you know, how modern you want to say that is, but yeah, it's it's quickly goes to down to like Drew Holiday. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. That checks out. I mean, Chris Paul is kind of the the one guy I think from this modern era who just felt like for you know a full decade he was basically a lock, but. Um, yeah, glad to see Drew Holiday get the recognition. Obviously, did not finish the season well defensively against Butler, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's another reminder that these are regular season awards, in fact. The NBA regular season has come and gone, which means it's time for a new way to play daily fantasy basketball for the playoffs. Rival Fantasy is the fantasy platform reinventing the way daily and weekly games are played, and they brought three new games to the ballpark this year that fantasy players won't find anywhere else. With unique games like Fantasy Bingo, head-to-head player challenges, and over-unders in Fantasy Book, Daily Fantasy has never been better. Right now, Rotowire listeners can get a $50 protected first play. That means if you win your first play, you keep your winnings. But if you lose your first entry, Rival Fantasy will fully refund you up to 50 bucks. Go to play.rivalfantasy.com slash signup. Again, that's play.rivalfantasy.com slash signup. And use our code RotowireMBA. All one word, Rotowire NBA. Use that at sign up and deposit a minimum of $25 to get your first entry on Rival protected up to $50. Now's the time to step onto the court and become a rival today. Welcome to the arena. Sixers Celtics. Sixers win game four. 
in, in thrilling fashion. You know, the Marcus Smart, uh, if he gets that three-pointer off like 0.02 seconds faster, the Celtics win an all-timer and that, that goes down in, in Boston history among the more memorable shots. But this is now a 2-2 series. I, I'm a little surprised on the series price. Like we, we've talked over and over about the amount of respect that the Celtics continue to get from the sports book, despite, you know, looking a little bit shakier than we expected. I mean, this is a 2-2 series and they are minus 330 to win it. Wow. Philly's plus 265 to win this series. So if you if you have any bone in your body that thinks Philly might win, now's the time to jump on. You're right about that. Um, I mean, I will I will say, I mean, I feel like I'm more of a, probably like a Philly believer than a lot of other people. I thought, at least at the beginning of the year, I, they were one of my favorite like value bets to win the NBA title. I just think the amount of talent that they have is great. The problem is Harden has a disappearing act issue. They get lazy on defense. They're back in transition. Now Embiid's hurt with the knee thing, although he hasn't I mean, lately Embiid has not looked that hampered. I don't I don't know what sort of what sort of massage treatments they're giving him, but he looks like he does not have a great two knee sprain. Um, but that, I mean this shows you, you know, again, this is another really close game that basically came down to one shot that could have changed the entire dynamic of the series. Like we've seen so many uh in so many other occasions throughout these playoffs, but Philly's really talented, man. Like when they when they clean up their issues and Harden looks good, they are a really hard team to beat. Yeah, I, that number is surprising to me. It is. I look. Do I do I think Philly's winning the series? No, but I I think it's a debate. Like if you if you wanted to talk me into them splitting these next two games and we go to a do or die game seven in Boston, like I don't have, have the Celtics like really proven to you that they could be trusted in these situations. I I don't think so. Uh, and, and I'm with you. It's a good note on Embiid. It, you know, I, I thought the first game he came back, he looked a little tentative, but he looked yeah. good on defense. Offensively, he was just a little off. I, I, I caught myself thinking the same thing on Sunday. I'm like, I, I forgot he was injured. Like he, he did not look injured to me. No, he didn't. Absolutely not. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're talking about like what what is what is Boston done to earn our trust? I mean, they kind of let the they that Hawks series got a little interesting towards the end. Not that. You know, not that I thought Boston was going to lose that series, but Atlanta seemed to figure something out. And maybe it was a combination of Atlanta really still trying, wanting to prove something. And Boston just, you know, you they they just were not locked in. Like, none of these were like, they probably felt like none of these were must-win games. A lot of these guys have a ton of playoff experience. It's like these moments, you know, unless it feels like a capital M moment, I think some of these guys don't necessarily get up for it. Um, I mean, we talk about LeBron in this way a lot, right? Um, yeah. So I maybe it's the same thing with the Celtics, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the series price should be quite that dramatic. Yeah. It is crazy to, to us. I think as outsiders where it's like, how, how could you not get up for this NBA playoff game? But there, there are teams and players that feel like they, you know, they kind of try to manufacture, you know, a must win situation, but you, you can't replicate it. It's like, you you have to have your back actually against the wall uh, to, to really bring that effort level. Uh, you know, Boston in the fourth quarter, 41% for the field, seven of 17, uh, they only turned it over twice, but uh, you know, Jalen Brown for the second straight game has just been kind of quiet in these situations. Uh, you know, Tatum wasn't great in the fourth quarter either at, at six rebounds and a couple of assists, but he was one of three from the field. Uh, I, I don't know that you necessarily want Marcus Smart taking as many shots as Tatum and, and Brown combined in the fourth quarter. You do not. Uh, but if you're Philly, Perfect. that has to be the game plan. Like whatever we can do, to put a lot of pressure on Tatum and Brown and see if we can get the ball swung to uh, get sw- swung to Marcus Smart or in the hands of anybody else who you know are not are not that trustworthy. Then that has to be the game plan. But yeah, I mean you have to. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard, like it's hard to complain. Like I, the Smart is not a great shooter, but if he's got a wide open look, 
at to close out a game. I don't feel horrible about that, but the total the total yeah. shot attempts, you know, in a quarter, you have to find a way to, you know, get Tatum and Brown the ball. Yeah, I was okay with the look. Uh, you know, in the overtime period, I mean, Philly was was scrambling a little bit, uh, but but got it together. I mean, the, the Sixers did not play well in that second half at all. I mean, they only scored 15 points in the fourth quarter, I and mean, this probably shouldn't have gone to overtime in the first place. But nonetheless, a, a huge win, obviously, for the 76ers. We'll break that down. Uh, a whole lot more in a few hours here on the Roadwire NBA show. Uh, again, you can listen to that on Sirius XM NBA channel 86. Uh, let's get to Nuggets Suns. You know, I, I picked the Suns all along to at least make the finals. I've, you know, I, I had bucks over Suns in the finals, so I'm going to need to do some sort of reassessment there uh, at some point. <laughs> I, I doubted the Suns. When, when this was 2-0, I, I thought they would be lucky to get one in Phoenix with the way they were playing. But uh, suddenly, I mean, th- this series has completely flipped. The Chris Paul injury has not seemed to impact them a ton. Uh, honestly, more than anything, it seems to have impacted DeAndre Ayton, who uh, scored like, I don't know, like 15 total points in the past two games and is barely shooting at all. But <laughs> I don't know, man. This, I mean, Booker and KD are just on a completely different level. This is this is exactly what I was sort of imagining when I picked the the Suns to win the NBA Finals after this trade, where it's just like it doesn't, the, the other guys in the court almost don't matter when KD and Booker are on the floor because they're either going to like they're going to drill a bunch of their contested looks. And even if they have to give the ball up, chances are you're putting so much pressure on them anyway that the guys who are they're passing it to are wide open. Um, I man, they're just they've just been so good. Yeah. I mean, Dur- Durant Booker have had incredible series, uh, varying degrees of. of- uh, efficiency, especially from Durant, but uh, I mean, we, we're going to have to do at some point over the summer, Alex, like a complete reassessment of, of Devin Booker. I mean, it, it just felt like forever he was kind of destined to be this tier two superstar, yeah. like never a guy who was ever in the conversation of like, all right, you're starting a team or, you know, this guy versus one of the other top five to seven guys in the league. Like he was kind of always firmly in that like Donovan Mitchell area for me, but my goodness, man, 14 of 18 from the field. In game four, both he and Durant put up 36. I mean, we, we said it on the XM show uh, on Thursday or Friday. It's like, this is what the, the Suns offense is right now with no Chris Paul. It's like Devin Booker and Kevin Durant have to both put up 30 plus points for them to have any chance to win. And that's what happened. And, th- and this was still a really close game that was in the balance late. Um, you know, I, I think if you're Denver, you could say, okay, we went 7 of 22 from the field. And we could probably tell ourselves that we should have won this game. Uh, I mean, they did get 53 out of Jokic, which was insane not a great porter game by any means uh didn't really get anything from the bench i mean the bench was outscored what like uh, 11 to like 30 something uh, maybe even more uh like landry shamit played well jock landale played well terrence ross even gave the suns uh, a little bit of a boost so yeah this series is just completely scrambled because all of a sudden now it feels like denver is the team that uh can only depend on like six or seven guys and i, I wouldn't count on guys like shamit and ross and tj warren like continuing to to, to give good minutes to the suns but I think the fact that they they've at least kind of awoken those guys is a really good sign. Well, you mentioned the Booker thing. I feel like three years ago, maybe more like four years ago, it was like, well, Booker and Zach Levine, yeah, which would you rather have? Like, is it is there even oh, yeah. like? Um, and now it's completely swung to Booker, who Booker is starting to remind me a little bit of like a more offensively tilted Jimmy Butler, where it's like he has such a like a he's has such a like offensive mastery in terms of his footwork. He can get to the mid range. He knows how to use pump fakes. 
um, navigate all sorts of like double teams. He's just, again, he's turned into such a complete offensive player and his defense has really improved as well compared to uh, the beginning of his career. But it, it's funny because th- these teams are now playing like two completely different styles of basketball. Um, it, it's it's almost like Katie and Booker. Like if this was a, if you're at the park and this is like a pickup situation, this is like five, uh, the Nuggets are like the five guys who always run together who like pretty much dominate like every game at the park together when they play. But then all of a sudden, like these two guys who, who played like D three uh, <laughs> are on the other side of the floor and it doesn't matter who's on the other team. You know what I mean? Like they're just so good yeah. that it doesn't really matter who the other five guys are on the other side or even who their three other teammates on the court with them are. They will just completely like take over the game. They have so much gravity. It's, it's crazy. The degree of difficulty on these shots, too, for Booker and Durant has been insane. Like, I, I don't feel like the Nuggets, like, blew these last two games by any means. They just they just got beat. They got straight up beat by, like, the two best players, arguably, in the series. And that's with Jokic going for 53 and 11. Like, Jokic was amazing in, in game four. Uh, but it just wasn't enough. I mean, but he... I don't, I, I don't know. I take that back. They're, he He is still the best player in the series to me. But, I mean... I think Booker Durant, you know, as great as Jamal Murray's been in this in these playoffs, like those guys are on a completely different level from him. Like Devin Booker in nine playoff games so far, 37 points, seven and a half assists, five rebounds. Uh, he has formed the 62-51-87 club, 62% <laughs> from the field. And like think of think of what he's being asked to do. Right. You know, this isn't like a Clay Thompson situation where look, I love Clay, but you know, it, it, it definitely helps to play alongside Steph and Draymond Green. Like Devin Booker is shooting 62% on like, you know, the, the highest degree of difficulty looks possible. Yeah. At some point the concern has to be, are they both going to have a couple of games going forward? You know, cause they have to win two more here. Are they going to have a couple of games going forward where either one of them or both of them just kind of come back to earth, you know, shoot like 40% combined. And it just, it looks awful, you know, especially on the road. I, I feel like that there's, I mean, that, that almost feels like it's bound to happen. As talented as these guys are, it feels like one of these games they have to, like, really, like, they're just going to have a bad game. You would think. And the <laughs> problem is, you know, the problem is one of them having a bad game might be enough to sink the Suns. Yes. You know, it's like they, they obviously, if both play poorly, they're going to lose. But if, you know, Durant could give you 45, but if Booker finally has a game where he's, like, 8 of 24 from the field for 21 points, you know, that, that's going to be a problem for Phoenix. Like, you know, Durant could give you 60 in that scenario and they still might not win. I mean, they got 72 combined out of these guys on 25 of 37 shooting in game four. I mean, that's, it doesn't feel like that should be sustainable, but at the same time, like watching these games, it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one who bets against these guys slowing down. No, and I mean, hey, Durant's only shooting 47% from the field. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> maybe he's actually due to score a uh, score better. But it's just crazy. You look at you look at this season, you look at this series, and it's Booker scoring 36 a game, Durant scoring 32 a game. The next highest scorer on the Suns is eight and at 10. 10 points a game for DeAndre Ayton. He's supposed to be like their their third or fourth big guy, you know, big four, uh, so to speak. And uh it's it just doesn't matter. I think when he started referring to himself as dominating. That's when we kind of knew things were, were not going to go well. I, I don't think in the history of basketball, like any non-superstar saying anything like that has ever gone well. Uh, it, it's actually kind of funny watching these games now, how, how like the crowd has has 100% turned against him at home. Yeah. 
Well, because Land- Landale comes in and he looks great. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like, I, I mean, honestly, I feel like I watch these games and I notice Landale more. And I, I maybe, I mean, he's out there working with the bench guys it's a lot. because he's so running he can... full speed everywhere he goes with that, yes. with that ankle <laughs> brace or that knee brace. Right. Um, and some of that is like he's playing with the bench guys a lot, right? So he can make more of an impact and he's going up against like, you know, uh, second unit and all that stuff. But I mean, he looks like if you, again, if you showed, if you showed like 20 minutes of Aiton footage and then 20 minutes of Landale footage in the series and you asked like who's playing better, I think a lot of people would just say Landale is playing better. I, I was listening to some pods and readings of things suggesting like, do they just start Jock Landale? And I <laughs> they can't personally, do I, I don't think you could do that because that would, that would just like permanently, you know, snuff anything that you're getting out of Aiden. You know, it's like Aiden, Aiden's on thin ice right now, but if you bring him off the bench behind Jock Landale, like whatever 15 minutes you're asking of DeAndre Aiden, that's not going to go well. It's not. It's not. And they, you know, they tried Biombo minutes. They've, they've tried that on occasion. But um, the thing is, like, if, if Aiden's only giving you 10 and 8, like, what, like, it's, you know, honestly, a lot of those 10 points, they feel kind of forced. They're like, okay, well, we got to give Aiden his, his two post-up possessions a half or his two yeah. face-up possessions a half. And it's like, if that, if, if it wasn't like obligatory, he'd be averaging like six points a game. No, 100%. Uh, I, I know you and I, have we've been hammering the under on DeAndre Ayton, like points, rebounds, points, assists over these last couple of games, uh, you know, that, that's been very fruitful. I would imagine that will continue. Uh, I mean, it, at this point, he's basically like, yeah, they'll, they'll give him like the one, uh, you know, kind of token touch in each half, but his only opportunity to score now is offensive rebounds. Pretty much. And he's not, he's not even a great offensive rebounder. No, no, he's not. Uh, all right, last thing before we head out, I, I saw a note that Brandon Roy will be representing the Trailblazers at the draft lottery, which is a week oh, from wow. today. Last time he did that, they got Greg Oden, got the number one pick. So mm-hmm. uh, something to keep in mind there. Uh, I did say last week that we would keep kind of checking up on this as the draft approaches. Um, ha- have you settled on what your favorite team would be to win the lottery? I, I remain, you know, realistically, I-, I think Portland would be my choice or Orlando. It's tough. My favorite team to win the lottery. I mean, yeah, if we're not talking like just the bottom four, I do think Orlando would be a lot of fun. You know, Wembenyama, Franz, Paolo would yeah. be an amazing combination. Um, you know, I don't think I have a favorite team. Like, I still, I still stand by that. I think the most entertaining team would be Charlotte because of Lamelo Ball, Wembenyama, just like. The, you know, the passing, the finishes, the alley-oops, all that stuff, I think would create, like, that's a highlight factory. Um, yeah. Whether or not they win games, whether or not it's good for Wembenyama's long-term development, probably not. But if Charlie wins the lottery, it's a highlight factory. So uh, it's hard for me to say that that would not be one of my top destinations. If he goes to a team like Orlando, like, like they're, are, are they making the playoffs next year? Like, are, do we should we be viewing this as like almost the equivalent of adding like a top five to ten player in free agency? You know, like I, I think there's a chance that he's like that impactful right away. I think. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, they, I think there's a chance he's like an all star next year. I mean, as a rookie, I think that's I think that's in the cards. I think a lot of this does rely on his defense. He might be he might be more impactful defensively as a rookie than offensively. Um, yeah. At least I have more questions about him offensively, just in terms of um, the physicality, how much of like that off the dribble stuff is quote unquote real. 
not that I think he's going to be bad, but it's like how much is that is of that's going to happen within the flow of like a normal NBA offense? How much of the keys are going to be handed to him? But I think he's going to be amazing defensively. And if you're that good defensively and you're even like, I mean, an average offensive player, if you go to a team like Orlando, in a, you know, a lot of these conferences are so flat now um, with the play-in tournament that, yeah, like, could, could he get them six more wins next year? Sure. I mean, you think of, like, what Evan Mobley did for the Cavs, who are picking, what, what are they taking, like, third? Yeah, third in 2021. So, they were, I mean, they were one of the worst teams in the league, and then they should have made the playoffs. Like, they, didn't they make the play-in and then lose? Uh, but, like, I mean, they were one of the best teams or at least a top-half team in the East for most of the regular season before falling off. Like, if, if Evan Mobley can make that kind of impact right away, and I love Evan Mobley, I, I, I think Wembenyama is a way better prospect than Mobley oh, was yeah. coming out. And, and that's saying a lot because Mobley was well-regarded. But – uh, yeah, it's it's going to be so interesting because I, I think, I mean, if he goes to like Houston, San Antonio, Charlotte, it's a pretty clear fit of like, all right, it's it's this guy's team. You know, there's some guys that'll fit around him, but it's his team. Detroit is interesting because of Cade, but obviously him not playing this year kind of sucked all that momentum away. Uh, I, I still think obviously that's why Minyama's team, but like if he goes to let, like Orlando would be so interesting. Like, would that be, would that be really cool for Bancaro or would that be like a worst case scenario? Um... I I think that could work out for Bancaro partially because when Benyama can shoot threes and like Bancaro, you know, Bancaro is sort of this like forward ball handler who's not a great three-point shooter. That could be there could be some really interesting like Bancaro Wembenyama pick and rolls or pick and pops where either guy can do either role. I think that could be a lot of fun. But I still think there would be some resistance on the other teams. Um I like Orlando plays they share the ball enough where I don't think like whose team it is would be a big sort of issue or like create locker room tension or anything like that. Um, and I think Cade would kind of not step aside, but I think they could kind of share that. I would worry about him going to Houston and like the Jalen green, Kevin Porter experience um, whose team they think it is. Plus like Shangoon, would they play them together? I guess you can probably play both those guys together. Um, but that would, I think actually that's the toughest dynamic you could go to is Houston. I feel like we would have a redux of the, was it Darius miles or Ricky Davis? Like that iconic quote when he was asked about LeBron, he's like, I just thought LeBron was going to be like a a supporting cast member for me. (laughs) I feel like I, like Kevin Porter would definitely say that. Uh, I I don't like, you know, we're we're talking about like, can he play alongside player X? Like, I don't even know what women Yama's position is going to be. Like, I I think you have to list him at a center because he's like seven, five, but I don't know half the highlights you see of this guy. He's breaking guys down off the dribble. He's taking like running step back threes. Uh, like, I, I guess that's kind of, like, I think he's going to have the ball in his hands. Not every play. It's not going to be like a Luca situation, but like, there's not a team that's like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to take him at the five and, and just like post him up. Like, I, I think he, I think you kind of have to use him Like, like when you, you know, when you're in like sixth grade and you create like a seven, seven guy in NBA 2k. Right. And you, you just kind of like have him do everything. Like, I, I think that's kind of the idea. I mean, I think to to me, he's just like the mismatch nightmare. He's like the all-time mismatch nightmare. Where it's like, I think you almost create your offense, not that he's running it, but just however the other team decides to try to deal with him, you react to that. So if they put a traditional center on him, you try to run Wembenyama up to the three-point line, get him easy threes, you know, like run him off screen, stuff like that. If they try to put like a smaller wing on him, then you post him up and just have him do these like little jump hooks that are practically layups from like seven feet. Um so I think you kind of play off of it that way, honestly. 
Yeah, very, very interested uh, to see all this. It feels like there's not enough hype around this. Like, does the average NBA fan know that the lottery is coming up in a week? I don't know that. Uh, you know, this is going to be, I, I, I truly think, the biggest lottery since LeBron, no question. I think this is going to trump Zion and Morant. Uh, and I think part of the reason that maybe it's not getting more hype is, you know, if you remember the, the Zion Morant lottery, uh, like the Lakers and the Knicks were, were, the, were they in the top three? They were both in like the top five in terms of odds. So I think that was a big part of it too. It's like these two massive franchises uh, who had both been down at the time, you know, were kind of looking to this as a savior. Whereas I, I think nationally, it's a little bit, it's a harder to get fired up about like, all right, Detroit, Houston, San Antonio, Charlotte, Portland, Orlando. Let's go, baby. Right. Yeah, like there, like there is basically no sort of big market that has a uh, that feels like they have a real chance at at Wembenyama this year. Um, Not really. No. I, uh, I, I'm trying to look at the yeah. So I mean, so the Zion draft, the Pelicans moved up six spots, the Grizzlies moved up six spots to get to two. So, yeah, I mean, the Lakers ended up jumping up, I think, too, because they got DeAndre Hunter and then that, that did the AD trade. But, yeah, I think the Knicks had, like, the best odds that year. Right. Yeah, and, I mean, if Chicago wasn't giving their pick to Orlando, um, that, I mean, that I guess that would be the team. But even then, they, you know, where, where it stands right now, they have, like, a 2% chance of number one overall. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. I mean, the NBA is as, as national as it's ever been, of course, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think if Webanyama had a chance to land in New York City, uh, we'd be hearing a lot more about it. All right, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, like I said, make sure you listen to us over on SiriusXM, 7 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. We're doing game previews for whatever playoff games are on the slate that night. Tonight, that means Philly, Boston, and Phoenix, Denver. Uh, tomorrow, we will have previews of Knicks Heat and Lakers Warriors. Uh, game six? No, game five of both of those series. What am I talking about? Uh, and then Wednesday, we'll be back for Celtic Sixers and Nugget Suns. We thank you for listening, and we'll chat soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.